This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. All right, let's take a look at Kaczynski's life in Montana. Again, folks, this is the foundation we're building on the official narrative, okay? After resigning from Berkeley, Kaczynski moved to his parents' home in Lombard, Illinois. Two years later, in 1971, he moved to a remote cabin he had built outside Lincoln, Montana, where he could live a simple life with little money and without electricity or running water working odd jobs, and receiving significant financial support from his family. Kaczynski's original goal was to become self-sufficient so he could live autonomously. He used an old bicycle to get to town, and a volunteer at the local library said he visited frequently to read classic works in their original languages. Other Lincoln residents said later that such a lifestyle was not unusual in the area. Kaczynski's cabin was described by a census taker in the 1990 census as containing a bed, two chairs, storage trunks, a gas stove, and lots of books. Starting in 1975, Kaczynski performed acts of sabotage, including arson and booby trapping against developments near to his cabin. He also dedicated himself to reading about sociology and political philosophy, including the works of Jacques Elul. Kaczynski's brother David later stated that Elul's book, The Technological Society, became Ted's Bible. Kaczynski recounted in 1998, quote, when I read the book for the first time, I was delighted because I thought, quote, here is someone who is saying what I have already been thinking, end quote. In an interview after his arrest, Kaczynski recalled being shocked on a hike to one of his favorite wild spots. Quote, it's kind of rolling country, not flat. And when you get to the edge of it, you find these ravines that cut very deeply into cliff-like drop-offs. And there uh, there was even a waterfall there. It was about a two-day's hike from my cabin. That was the best spot until the summer of 1983. That summer, there were too many people around my cabin, so I decided I needed some peace. I went back to the plateau, and when I got there, I found they had put a road right through the middle of it. You just can't imagine how upset I was. It was that point on I decided that rather than trying to acquire further wilderness skills, I would work on getting back at the system. Revenge. Kaczynski was visited multiple times in Montana by his father, who was impressed by Ted's wilderness skills. Kaczynski's father was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer in 1990 and held a family meeting with Kaczynski later that year to map out their future. On October 2nd, 1990, Kaczynski's father committed suicide by shooting himself in his home. And so then you have uh, the bombings, okay? And we'll just talk a little bit about this. I'm not going to go through all of it because 
we covered this earlier under the FBI stuff, but it says between 78 and 95, Kaczynski mailed or hand-delivered a series of increasingly sophisticated bombs that cumulatively killed three people and injured 23 others. 16 bombs were attributed to Kaczynski, while the bombing devices varied widely through the years. Many contain the initials FC, which Kaczynski later said stood for Freedom Club inscribed on parts inside he purposely left misleading clues in the devices and took extreme care in preparing them to avoid leaving fingerprints fingerprints found on some of the devices did not match those found on letters attributed to kaczynski and so there's a chart here that goes through all the bombings and then uh, there's a section here initial bombings and then it gets into the uh, fbi involvement which we're going to touch on a little bit here i think it's important as we lay the official narrative foundation to this kaczynski series it says initial bombings kaczynski's first mail bomb was directed at buckley christ a professor of materials engineering at northwestern university on may 25th 1978 a package bearing uh, Chris return address was found in a parking lot at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The package was returned to Chris, who was suspicious because he had not sent it. So he contacted campus police. Officer Terry Marker opened the package, which exploded and caused minor injuries. Kaczynski had returned to Chicago for the May 1978 bombing and stayed there for a time to work with his father and brother at a foam rubber factory. In August 1978, his brother fired him for writing insulting limericks about a female supervisor Ted had courted briefly. The supervisor later recalled Kaczynski as intelligent and quiet, but remembered little of their acquaintanceship and firmly denied they had any romantic relationship. Kaczynski's second bomb was sent nearly one year later. Uh, after the first one, again to Northwestern University, the bomb concealed inside a cigar box and left on a table caused minor injuries to graduate student John Harris when he opened it. Uh, this is about the FBI involvement. In 1979, a bomb was placed in the cargo hold of American Airlines Flight 444, a Boeing 727 flying from Chicago to Washington, D.C., a faulty timing mechanism prevented the bomb from exploding, but it released smoke, which caused the pilots to carry out an emergency landing. Authorities said it had enough power to obliterate the plane had it exploded. Kaczynski sent his next bomb to the president of United Airlines, Percy Wood, would receive cuts and burns over most of his body. Kaczynski left false clues in most bombs, which he intentionally made hard to find to make them appear more legitimate. Clues included metal plates stamped with the initials FC, hidden somewhere, usually in the pipe end cap in bombs, and a note left in a bomb that did not detonate, reading, Woo, it works. I told you it would work, RV. And the Eugene O'Neill $1 stamps often used as postage on his boxes. He sent one bomb embedding a copy of Sloan Wilson's uh, novel Ice Brothers. The FBI theorized that Kaczynski's crimes involved the theme of nature, trees, and wood. He often included bits of a tree branch and bark in the bombs. His selected targets included Percy Wood and Professor Leroy Wood. The crime writer Robert Graysmith noted his, quote, obsession with Wood, end quote, was, quote, a large factor, end quote, in the bombings. And now it's got later bombings. 
1981, a package bearing the return address of Brigham Young University Professor of Electrical Engineering Leroy Wood uh, Berenson was discovered in a hallway at the University of Utah. It was brought to the campus police and was defused by a bomb squad. In May of the following year, a bomb was sent to Patrick C. Fisher, a professor of computer science at Vanderbilt University. Fisher was on a vacation in Puerto Rico at the time. His secretary, Janet Smith, opened the bomb and received injuries to her face and arms. Kaczynski's next two bombs targeted people at the University of California, Berkeley. The first in July 1982 caused serious injuries to engineering professor Diogenes Angelokis. Uh, nearly three years later, in May 1985, John Hauser, a graduate student and captain in the United States Air Force, lost four fingers and the vision in one eye. Kaczynski handcrafted the bomb from wooden parts. A bomb sent to the Boeing Company in Auburn, Washington, was defused by a bomb squad the following month. In November 1985, Professor James V. McConnell and research assistant Nicholas Sunu were both severely injured, and Sunu opened a mail bomb address to McConnell. In late 1985, a nail and splinter-loaded bomb placed in the parking lot of his store in Sacramento, California, killed 38-year-old computer store owner Hugh Scrutton. A similar attack against a computer store took place in Salt Lake City, Utah on February 20th, 1987. The bomb disguised a piece of lumber injured Gary Wright when he attempted to remove it from the store's parking lot. The explosion severed nerves in Wright's left arm and propelled over 200 pieces of shrapnel into his body. Kaczynski was spotted while planting the Salt Lake City bomb. This led to a widely distributed sketch of the suspect as a hooded man with a mustache and aviator sunglasses. In 1993, after a six-year break, Kaczynski mailed a bomb to the home of Charles Epstein from the University of California, San Francisco. Epstein lost several fingers upon opening the package. In the same weekend, Kaczynski mailed a bomb to David Gelletmer, a computer science professor at Yale University, and Gelletmer lost sight in one eye, hearing in one ear, and a portion of his right hand. In 1994, Burson Marsteller, executive Thomas J. Mosser, was killed after opening a mail bomb sent to his home in New Jersey. In a letter to the New York Times, Kaczynski wrote he had sent the bomb because of Mosser's work repairing the public image of Exxon after the Exxon Valdez oil spill. This was followed by the 1995 murder of Gilbert Brent Murray, president of the Timber Industry Lobbying Group, California Forestry Association, by a mail bomb addressed to the previous president, William Dennison, who had retired. Geneticist Philip Sharp at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology received a threatening letter shortly afterwards. All right, folks. Again, I'm going through this because I really, really, really want to lay this foundation of official narrative here, you know, coming out of WikiLeaks. And we're going to be going through some of the resources. But I'm working my way over to this Atlantic article that I read. A fascinating piece, by the way. Fascinating piece. We're going to get into that. And that's going to lead us into this investigation into MK Ultra and the connections of this Henry Murray to MK Ultra and what they did 
um, to Ted Kaczynski while he was at Harvard at 16 years old. I think it's very important uh, myself personally, if the official narrative is true, and Ted Kaczynski was in fact the guy who wrote the manifesto, it would be difficult for me to believe that that trauma brought on in his childhood at 16 years old uh, played a part in helping to develop his ideas and his revolt against the system. Although I do agree 100% with the fact that technology is destroying wild nature and humanity, I myself would not go about it this way. I think separating and exiting the system uh, is something you do. Now, people start building around your property, folks. What are you going to really do about that? You have to buy more property. Again, if we believe in freedom and liberty, folks have the option to go get as jabbed up as they want, take as many boosters as they want. They have the option to put a brain chip in their head. They have an option to live inside of a technological prison planet. So if you present to them this counter ideal, this idea of nature returning to nature, uh, this idea that technology is destroying humanity, and they don't want to listen to you. Is it not their right, their freedom to live inside the technocracy? We have to focus on separating ourselves from the system. And then if the system wants to come attack us and force the technological system on us, that's when we have a right to defend ourselves. But to go out and attack others when they don't even understand this system that they're helping build, I don't think it does much I'm not going uh, to go out and start attacking innocent people. Although, when you look at what's going on, it is a war against humanity waged by the upper crust of society. Ladies and gentlemen, let me take a short break. I'll be right back. This is Dust to Gold with the Dust to Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And I want to thank you for taking this wild ride with me, folks. I'm going to be working on this in between uh, some other episodes we're going to be running here. One on the cycle of civilization. We are going to be talking to some guests. We're still exploring this AI antichrist. We're going to get into more solutions. We've got Wide Awake Jim coming back on. We've got some pastors that are going to come on. Uh, All these things that can help you uh, navigate uh, the world and figure out how you're going to live one foot in and one foot out of this system. But the reason why I'm so fascinated with Kaczynski, as I said earlier, is because industrial society in its future, his 35,000 page uh, 1995 published essay on the technocratic system, I think really, really, really nailed what we're dealing with today. And maybe if we can continue to dissect this man and these ideas, we will find a way for us to separate from the system and not have to go about it uh, using mail bombs. Clearly, that didn't work for him. He ended up in a prison cell, which is (laughs) the most confined place that you can be created by the technological system. 
All right, this is a section here, Manifesto. It says, in 1995, Kaczynski mailed several letters to media outlets outlining his goals and demanding a major newspaper print, his 35,000-word essay, Industrial Society and Its Future, dubbed the Unabomber Manifesto by the FBI uh, in verbatim. He wanted it published. He stated he would desist from terrorism if this demand was met. There was controversy as to whether the essay should be published, as we know. It goes on to say Kaczynski used a typewriter to write his manuscript, capitalizing entire words for emphasis in lieu of italics. He always referred to himself as either we or FC, that's the Freedom Club. Though there is no evidence that he worked with others, Donald Wayne Foster analyzed the writing at the request of Kaczynski's defense team in 1996 and noted that it contained irregular spelling and hyphenation, along with other linguistic idiosyncrasies. This led him to conclude that Kaczynski was its author. Uh, And so they have a summary here on the manifesto. We don't need to read that, folks, because we already analyzed the entire manifesto. It does say contemporary reception. James Q. Wilson, in a 1998 New York Times op-ed, wrote, quote, If it is the work of a madman, then the writings of many political philosophers, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Thomas Paine, Karl Marx, are scarcely more sane, end quote. Quote, the Unabomber does not like socialization technology, leftist political causes, or conservative attitudes. Apart from his call for an unspecified revolution, his paper resembles something that a very good graduate student might have written, end quote. Ashton Chase, a fellow alums of uh, Harvard University, wrote in 2000 for The Atlantic that, quote, it is true that many believe Kaczynski was insane because they needed to believe it. But the truly disturbing aspect of Kaczynski and his ideas is not that they are so foreign, but they are so familiar, end quote. He argued that, quote, we need to see Kaczynski as exceptional, madman or genius, because the alternative is so much more frightening, end quote. And that's the piece I have right here that we're going to review. This is by Alston Chase. Really good piece. Uh, I read it a while ago, and I just read it again yesterday. Uh, It says other works, University of Michigan, Dearborn philosophy professor David Skirbina helped to compile Kaczynski's work into the 2010 anthology uh, Technological Slavery, including the original manifesto, letters between Skirbina and Kaczynski, and other essays. Kaczynski updated his 1995 manifesto as Anti-Tech Revolution, Why and How to Address Advances in Computers and the Internet. He advocates practicing other types of protest and makes no mention of violence. And uh, I have that as well. I've read it. It's good. Uh, Question is, are we going to go over it? I'm not sure. Uh, Probably later, I would want to take a break from Kaczynski after we finish this expose on him before I return to additional works, folks. Uh, According to a 2021 study, Kaczynski's manifesto is, quote, a synthesis of ideas from three well-known academics, French philosopher Jacques Ellul, British zoologist Desmond Morris, and American psychologist Martin Siegelman, end quote. 
It says here, uh, this is the investigation. Uh, because of the material used to make the mail bombs, U.S. postal inspectors who initially had responsibility for the case labeled the suspect the junkyard bomber. FBI Inspector Terry D. Torshi was appointed to run the Unibomb investigation. In 1979, an FBI-led task force that included 125 agents from the FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service was formed. The task force grew to more than 150 full-time personnel, but minute analysis of recovered components of the bombs and the investigation into the lives of the victims proved of little use in identifying the suspect who built bombs primarily from scrap materials available almost anywhere. Investigators later learned the victims were chosen indiscriminately from library research. In 1980, Chief Agent John Douglas, working with agents in the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, issued a psychological profile of the unidentified bomber. It described the offender as a man with above-average intelligence and connections to academia. This profile was later refined to characterize the offender as a neo-ludite, holding an academic degree in the hard sciences. But this uh, psychologically-based profile was discarded in 1983. FBI analysts developed an alternative theory that concentrated on the physical evidence it recovered uh, bomb fragments. In this rival profile, the suspect was characterized as a blue-collar airplane mechanic. The Unibomb Task Force set up a toll-free hotline to take calls related to the investigation with a $1 million reward from anyone who could prove information leading to the Unibomber's capture. Before the publication of Industrial Society and its Future, Kaczynski's brother David was encouraged by his wife to follow up on suspicions that Ted was the Unibomber. David was dismissive at first, but he took the likelihood more seriously after reading the manifesto a week after it was published in September 1995. He searched through old family papers and found letters dating to the 1970s that Ted had sent to the newspapers to protest the abuses of technology using phrasing similar to that in the manifesto. Before the manifesto's publication, the FBI had many press conferences asking the public to help identify the Unabomber. They were convinced that the bomber was from the Chicago area where he began his bombings, had worked in or had connection to Salt Lake City, and by the 1990s had some association with the San Francisco Bay Area. This geographical information and the wording and experts excerpts from the manifesto that were released before the entire text of the manifesto was published persuaded David's wife to urge him to read it. It says here, after publication, after the manifesto was published, the FBI received thousands of leads in response to its offer of an a reward for information leading to the identification of the Unabomber. While the FBI reviewed new leads, Kaczynski's brother David hired private investigator Susan Swanson in Chicago to investigate Ted's activities discreetly. David later hired Washington, D.C. attorney Tony uh, Biskegli to organize the evidence acquired by Swanson and contact the FBI, given the presumed difficulty of attracting the FBI's attention. Kaczynski's family wanted to protect him from the danger of an FBI raid, such as those at Ruby Ridge or Waco, since they feared a violent outcome from any attempt by the FBI to contact Kaczynski. 
In early 1996, an investigator working with Basigli contacted former FBI hostage negotiator and criminal profile filer Clinton R. Van Zandt. Basigli determined that there was better than a 60% chance that the same person had written the manifesto, which had been in public circulation for half a year. Van Zandt's second analytical team determined a higher likelihood. He recommended Basigli's client contact the FBI immediately. In February 1996, Basigli gave a copy of the 1971 essay written by Ted Kaczynski to Molly Flynn at the FBI. She forwarded the essay to the San Francisco-based task force FBI profiler James R. Fitzgerald, recognized similarities in the writings using linguistic analysis, and determined that the author of the essays and the manifesto was almost certainly the same person. Combined with facts gleaned from the bombings and Kaczynski's life, the analysis proved the basis for an affidavit signed by Terry Turchi, the head of the entire investigation, in support of the application for a search warrant. David Kaczynski had tried to remain anonymous, but he was soon identified. Within a few days, an FBI agent team was dispatched to interview David and his wife with their attorney in Washington, D.C., At this and subsequent meetings, David provided letters written by his brother in their original envelopes, allowing the FBI task force to use the postmarked dates to add more detail to their timeline of Ted's activities. David developed a respectful relationship with behavioral analysis special agent Kathleen M. Puckett, whom he met many times in Washington, D.C., Texas, Chicago, and Schenectady, New York, over the nearly two months before the federal search warrant was served on Kaczynski's cabin. David had once admired and emulated his older brother, but had since left the survivalist lifestyle behind. He had received assurances from the FBI that he would remain anonymous and his brother would not learn who had turned him in, but his identity was leaked to CBS News in early April 1996. Good old FBI there. CBS anchorman Dan Rather called FBI Director Louis Free, who requested 24 hours before CBS broke the story on the evening news. The FBI scrambled to finish the search warrant and have it issued by a federal judge in Montana. Afterwards, the FBI conducted an internal leak investigation but the source of the leak was never identified. FBI officials were not unanimous in identifying Ted as the author of the manifesto. The search warrant noted that several experts believe the manifesto had been written by another individual. All right, folks, so that's going to be it for today. This is the beginning of a couple of episodes on Ted Kaczynski, author of Industrial Society and Its Future. So tomorrow we're going to finish up with Wikipedia. Again, we're just laying out this official narrative, and this way we have a lot of dots to connect as we move forward into other uh, papers and other articles and stuff. So we're going to look at his arrest, his guilty plea, his incarceration, and his legacy. That's the last four parts in the Wikipedia article. Then we are going to review this article here in the Atlantic called Harvard and the Making of the Unabomber. A series of purposely brutalizing psychological experiments may have confirmed Theodore Kaczynski's still-forming belief in the evil of science while he was in college, written by Alston Chase in June 2000. And then we're going to start to go through Henry Murray, who was the uh, professor who played around with Kaczynski's brain. We're going to look at the precursor to the CIA called the Office of Strategic Services. I've been wanting to cover this for a while, but it ties right in 
to Henry Murray because he was a big wig force here at the precursor to the CIA. From there, we'll go back, tie this into the MK Ultra work that we did, and then we're going to take a look at this called Assessment of Men, Selection of Personnel. And this was uh, a 565-page document that was head up by Henry Murray. And this was how to psychologically profile uh, folks that they were going to bring into the OSS and into the military. Basically, how we choose spies. And from there, folks, we'll get into the CIA financial leaks that tie money uh, being funneled through fraudulent organizations bogus organizations back into universities including harvard at the same time that henry murray connected to the cia was messing with ted kaczynski's mind and then we'll show you how this all connects together ladies and gentlemen we'll start to look at some more corrupt stuff that the fbi or the cia was doing at the same time it's a lot of information it's a lot of work but this is sort of a personal project that i want to do here really going into depth on ted kaczynski uh as him being the credited author of industrial society and its future folks and we're going to find a lot of stuff connected in there i think it's fascinating everybody wants to talk about mk ultra i think this is the best way to go about it and we tie this all up in a pretty little bow and then we're going to talk about exiting the system and cycle of civilizations and don't be discouraged that even if you escape that it's going to build back up into what we have today you just have to do it and then uh, generations upon generations need to be trained within the system within the wild nature system and if it gets back to where it was so be it it's their job to rise up and to revolt against the system once again ladies and gentlemen i will see you once again tomorrow for episode 143 my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.